are so blessed to have this many anointed musicians. I almost said musicians. Well, what they do is kind of magical, but I think the magician is a bad, bad name, but amazing. Just blessed, totally blessed. Wow. How many visitors do we have? How many of you never been here before visitors do we have? Never been here before visitors. Oh, wow. Welcome. Wow. How many of you were here this morning you were visiting? Oh, good. You visited this morning. First time. So awesome. Was Bill good today? Okay. Just making sure. Typically is. I um, had the privilege this morning of going to Weaverville. Yeah. I felt like, you know, Rocky going to Mickey's gym. <laughs> you know? I don't know. You had to be there. You know, Rocky, when he... Then he goes back to his own stomping ground, his train. Huh? Roots to his roots, goes back to his roots, and we just had such an amazing time today. I was telling the team that I was so proud of what's happening in Weaverville. It's so, so amazing, and uh, it's one of the very first times in my life that I, 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 I love that place. But uh, it also, it's the place I grew up. So I have good memories, and I have some not so Chris Valentin good memories. <laughs> I, I was blessed with being able to like not minister in the same place I grew up in. So, this isn't Nazareth for me. <laughs> I go back there and they're like, oh yeah, you know all those stories you tell about the bad prophecies? You gave me one of those. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Hope you got through that. So, yeah. But anyway, we just had a really good time and, and they're just doing a fantastic job there. And, and uh, my, my kids actually pastor that place now. So I'm very proud of them, and uh, we're very proud of them, actually. So that was cool. And then I, I haven't seen you for a couple of weeks, have I? Uh, so aloha. I was in Hawaii, and you know, someone has to do it. There's lost people there. <laughs> um, we got to go to YWAM. Any of you YWAMers in here? Yeah, I'll make you jealous. I got to have lunch with Darlene. Yeah, Cunningham. And it was awesome. And she's like, I don't know how old she is, but she's older than me, and she has twice the amount of energy. She has the energy of Jen Johnson. <laughs> I was sitting at the table, I'm like, this is like talking to an older Jen Johnson. And uh, she was excited, and anyway, it was re- very fun there too. So why don't you grab a hand and let's pray. And yeah, you can get a girlfriend at this time too, if you want to just... You can multitask, right? You can like hone in on the Holy Spirit and release the hormonal connection that you need by holding hands. So Holy Spirit, we just <laughs> we bless this night. We, we pray. <laughs> we pray for the single people, Lord, especially tonight. Amen. <laughs> I know that's why the single people come when I'm preaching. Like, I'm getting me a man or a woman. Um, I, I have a, something that's been going on in my heart for some time. I, I shared a little bit of this with the students. It's not something I've thought through very well. But I, um, this the, the word I have in my heart is I just have this one word. The word sustainability has been in my heart for... I'd say almost a year. And it just, I wake up in the morning thinking about sustainability. You know, the ability, I mean, I mean you know, sometimes, you know, have you ever seen people who, they obtain things they can't sustain? Yeah. It's like, you know, uh, it's like being poor and buying a really expensive car, and the first time it needs an oil change, you're like, oh, no. How many of you have ever bought something you actually couldn't afford? Like you bought the thing, but then you couldn't afford it. Oh, yeah, both all, all hands and feet. I'm like, I, I'm, uh, I have been the master of obtaining things that I can't sustain in years, over, over the years. And, and, you know, and I'm, not, I'm really not thinking about physical things so much. Um, I, I, mean, I, really, that, I mean, that's not my, 
that's not where my passion is right now. I'll talk some about physical things just as examples. I noticed Jesus talked a lot about money because it's just, it's really easy uh, to, everybody deals with money and you, it's kind of, you have to kind of have it. You have to kind of have, you have to kind of know how to use it, right, to stay alive. And so it's an easy example in our lives, of, and it's easy metaphor to apply to other parts of our life. I, I had this kind of really silly experience that I did share someplace. I don't remember where. It might have been at the leaders' events. But um, I, was, I, was, I like to lay in my bathtub and pray. We got a clawfoot bathtub. I've had one, I think, since we've been married almost. And we, in our, we built a house in Weaverville, and we bought an old clawfoot bathtub, and now I have a pretend one, but still really comfortable. And uh, it's just been kind of my, my I, I probably sit in there two or three times a week, and just like, I just like to get my Bible and read in there and think and pray, and I don't know why it's, that's just the place I've done it my whole life. And, but um, I was in the bathtub the other night, and I've been having this sustainability thing just kind of going, you know, rolling around in me. How many of you get something rolling around in you? Like, you don't really understand it, but just kind of, sticks in you. And you're like, I don't know what this means, but it must be something the Lord wants me to deal with in my life. And, and uh, I think a part of it is, to be honest, you know, as you get older, you start thinking about financial sustainability. And you start thinking, okay, so we live in this house, we have these expenses, I have a regular job, I travel, that creates some sort of income. And, you know, you just have those kind of conversations like, okay, is this really going to be sustainable? Like, can we do this for 25 more years? Or do we need to adjust? So there's those kind of issues, but really that's not, that's not the heart of what's really inside of me. Um, so anyway, I'm laying in my bathtub, and I'm just doing what, what I always do, just lay there, and, and I, I'm, I probably was in the bathtub that, that night about two hours. It was my day off, and I was just laying there and thinking and reading and praying and answering emails, you know, just everything in there, you know? <laughs> Thank God for smartphones, you know? It's just like, I don't know what we did before we had them. We weren't so smart. Uh, and, um, and, I, and the water just was getting colder and colder and colder. And pretty soon, you know, when I stopped thinking, I started like, wow, I'm cold. And I had this kind of obvious um, revelation. And like, this water is going to actually get room temperature if I let it. And, and this whole thing of sustainability has been going through my mind. So you know how simple things can sometimes be a huge revelation to you. And I'm like, you know why this water, you know why, like, in my bedroom's about 70 degrees? And I thought to myself, this water will get 70 degrees. Not because 70 degrees is more powerful than 60 or 80, but because there's an ecosystem that sustains 70 degrees in my house. And there's no ecosystem that keeps the water hot. So I have to keep adding water, because this isn't a hot tub, it's a bathtub. And a bathtub has its own ecosystem, but a, I'm sorry, a hot tub has its own ecosystem, but a bathtub doesn't. And I started thinking about that, and you know how that can be. I started thinking about, wow, the, the ecosystems that, that we sustain, the ecosystems that... It's the ecosystems that we cultivate dominate. Not the ecosystem that should dominate, the ecosystem we cultivate. The ecosystem we cultivate dominates. Just follow me for a minute. Not because, I don't know if I can get this out of my mouth, I know it's in my head. Not because that particular virtue is necessarily dominant, but it's the one that we cultivate. So if we cultivate a good ecosystem, and we'll talk about it in just a minute. If we cultivate that good ecosystem, it dominates. If we cultivate a bad ecosystem, it dominates. Not because evil is more powerful than good, but because it's the one that has the ecosystem. Are you with me? And there's all kinds of social ecosystems that we can you know, talk through. Like, you know, um, Obviously, the, the hot buttons of homosexuality are huge in our culture right now, right? So in my grandfather's day, my grandfather was not a believer. But in your grandfather's day, you know, there was probably, I'm sure there was homosexual people, but the culture did not sustain homosexuality. There was no, the, are you with me? It's like the culture that you cultivate dominates. And then the culture of homosexuality did, did not dominate because it had nobody cultivating it. And now we have a culture 
pretty, it's getting pretty global, but in, our, in America, and, it, and, and I'm not really talking about morals tonight, but just as an example, we have a culture that is actually cultivating homosexuality, and homosexuality is beginning to dominate. Not because it's the better way of life, but because it's the culture that's being cultivated. <laughs> am I making, am I kind of making sense? And so, and, and so I was thinking about this, and I, I started thinking about my, my bedroom has an ecosystem that's called air conditioning and heating. <laughs> Are you with me? So I turn the thermostat to 70 degrees, and that is my core value, 70 degrees. Are you with me? But the ecosystem is what's blown out of the vents. Now, I open the doors and the windows, and how many understand that that air conditioning system was built to sustain a temperature in a certain room? So it can't cool my whole property to 70 degrees. Man, I could sell that if it could. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not going to cool my... Like, I'm not going to like, hey, I'm turning on 70 degrees. Don't worry, baby. It's not going to be hot out. I got the temperature set at 70. We're going to cool the property. Ain't going to happen. And what I'm getting at is I begin to realize that the ecosystem that's in my bedroom isn't just the air conditioning and heating system. It's also the walls, the windows, and the roof. Am I getting anywhere? In other words, it's also the things that protect, the, protect my room from the elements outside. <laughs> because outside is another ecosystem. In other words, my bedroom cools to 70 degrees inside a temperature that might be 110 outside. In other words, there's another ecosystem working outside. In order for this temperature to outweigh that temperature, there has to be some calculations made. <laughs> I watch people come to Bethel for 18 years, and they, they, like, they buy our air conditioning system. They're like, that is awesome. We're going to have that. But they don't calculate the walls, the windows, and the doors. And they go home, and they're like, we're going to have the same temperature as Bethel. And then they're calling us like, hey, we did what you said, but we didn't get the results you get. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot more to it. Uh, Bill calls it a greenhouse. There's a lot more to it than let's get the same size air conditioner, stick it in our room, and think we're going to have the same temperature in here. Not going to happen. Why? Because somebody thought through all the elements. Like, we just put a new air conditioning system in our house last year in, in one of our rooms, two of our rooms. And they came in, and they, did, they were measuring walls, and they were talking about R factors and double-pane windows and what direction the room was... You know, I'm like, what, what are you guys doing? And I'm like, just put the air conditioner in there. <laughs> well, we have to know what size. We'll just make it bigger than it needs to be in case it needs to be. <laughs> They're like, no, 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 you don't, you don't do it that way. And that guy sat in our room for about half an hour with all these calculations, measuring all these different things. And he said, this is the exact size you need for the temperature outside. It can be this hot, it can be this cold, and the room size and all the R factors you have in the room. I, I didn't know what he said, but whatever it is, it worked. <laughs> Does that make sense? I noticed that social ecosystems begin in the hearts and minds of people and they spread through a complex system of communication. So when we look at things like ISIS and we're like, wow, we should kill those people. Or something. Something very close to that. I want to start thinking like, what's the real problem? How many of you know people belong, believe, and behave? Like, what's the real problem? Like, why? And, 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 then if, and what I'm getting at is this. Is sometimes, whatever we, big, we misdiagnose, we mistreat, right? And sometimes we create symptomatic cures because we actually don't know why the ecosystem works like that. Are you with me? So we create symptomatic cures, and tomorrow's, today's cure becomes tomorrow's problem. <laughs> Because all we did is just push it down the road. We kicked the can down the road. And sometimes we kick it down the road because we just want to be comfortable. And we're like, you know what? Just let our kids pay for that. 
that's some of it, right? We're like, we don't care for the next generation. We become like Hezekiah, and we show off the treasures, and we, we sabotage tomorrow. But I would say more often than not, we're ignorant. Like, we don't actually know what causes that, so we're just like, kill it. Oh, it keeps coming back. We'll kill it again. It's, you, you know what I'm saying? It's like, we don't actually know what's wrong, or even what's right. Let's just use what's wrong for a minute. We don't actually know why that's working like that. We don't actually understand the ecosystem that perpetuates that. So we're like, we go in there and we get rid of it, but then it just grows back. And it comes back because we don't actually understand what is creating the system of sustainability. Are you with me? I remember years ago, I've used this for different, this example for different things, but I remember we were living in this little house on Olive Street. It was like 800, 700 square feet, and we had a little another room. And uh, Kathy, um, she's, she wanted to plant some strawberries. And there was this, uh, right outside the back garage, there was a, I don't know, maybe half the size of this part of the, of the, of the uh, platform. Just a little, yeah, it was probably four by eight. There was, we'd, we'd lived there about a year, and it was just dirt there. There was no plants. There was nothing. Nothing ever grew there. And she's like, can you put a water system there, a drip system in there for me? Because I want to put strawberries in there. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. So I just put a little drip system in there. It was, and it wasn't a you know, very big deal. And set that up. And it began to water. And she put strawberries in there. I don't know how long it was. It wasn't very long. Uh, maybe, maybe three weeks or a month. And you couldn't see the strawberries because the weeds overtook the strawberries. Now, the truth is, that piece of little piece of land, that little piece of dirt, we'd lived there a year. It never grew anything. As soon as I put a watering system in it, it grew all kinds of things that we didn't know were in the soil. You know why? Because it didn't have an ecosystem to grow anything. As soon as I created one, it was full of weeds. <laughs> uh, this is a little off subject, and I don't think I'm going to go there. It wasn't in my notes, not in my plan, but I just had this thought that sometimes the same thing that grows strawberries grows weeds. <laughs> sometimes you go someplace and you're like, I didn't have all these problems till I came here. You didn't have anything going on till you came here. You just had dirt. <laughs> you're like, can you give me a culture that only grows strawberries? Yeah, no. Remember Jesus talked about the wheat and the tares, right? It's like, it's kind of funny that the culture that grows good things I don't know if I'm saying this absolute, but because it just came to my mind. But the strawberries that grow, I'm sorry, the, the culture, the ecosystem that grows good things also creates a culture to grow whatever's in there. Sometimes we, we curse the ecosystem. <laughs> you started watering, water's bad. It's like, no, no, there was seeds in there that you didn't know were in there until they started getting watered. I, I have, um, gosh, I don't have any of this going in my notes. When I came to Bethel, the ecosystem that I lived in dramatically changed. That was dramatically changed. It was like, it was not just that I went from a little town to a big town. It's um, how I came to a big town and what my role was. So, you know, in Weaverville... I, I preached all the time. Bill could tell you, I preached all the time. I mean, if somebody, if two people would sit and listen, I would, I would preach to them. <laughs> and Bill would send me to fill in for pastors all over the place. I'd drive three hours, preach to five people. Didn't matter to me. Uh, but, but really, you know, my, if you will, my claim to fame was I owned a business and my thing was cars. So people came to me if they had car problems. And so if I was in a crowd, the people that would come up to me were like, hey, i got a problem with my car. Can you tell me what to do? Da, 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 da. That's the kind of stuff that would happen. And in church, people would come up to me. They didn't want prayer. They wanted, hey, i got this problem with my car. Until <laughs> after a few years, you know, I set a rule like, hey, hey, don't talk about cars on Sunday. Because my wife would be, it's family day. I'm like, yeah, yeah. But nobody wanted me. They just wanted something I know about. When I came here, 
That all changed. <laughs> and something else got watered in me. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Like, like, I'm the kid that ran track for four years and parent never was in the sands. That's, that's my, my parents. I, I, I love them. I, I don't blame them. I, they were just not healthy. So I'm the kid who did stuff and nobody watched. I'm the kid who never got an award, never made the team. That's me. And, and I'm not like, wow, I feel sorry for me. I'm like, I think it drove me to other things. I think the Lord used it for good in my life. But I, I, I wasn't the kid who got attention. I was the kid who didn't get attention. Then I came here and it's like, hey, you like attention? Yeah. Okay. Well, here's thousands of them. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Okay. And I began to water things in my life that had never been watered before. I don't mean no one gave me attention. I'm not like poor me. I mean like, like it's always like a torrential rain. And things grew in my life. Like, wow. How do you, how do you work your way through this ecosystem of intense favor? You know, I, I spent my life trying to prove to people that I was better than they thought. Now I spend my life trying to teach people I'm not that good. (laughs) Everybody on the front row knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) Like, I'm not saying, like, I don't have low self-esteem anymore, but I'm not that good. They're like, oh, I read your book. Like, don't crown me. (laughs) I'm I'm good. And when people come up to you, you know, especially when you travel, and they come up and they're like, oh, and they treat you like, they think something of you that you're like, authentic is my core value, and that ain't real. That's somebody you made up by reading a book that I confessed all my sins in, and you still think I'm somebody. I think of sins to confess in every book. Like, I want people to know, like, this guy who wrote this book, he isn't that good. He's this good. He's not that good. He's not that bad either. I'm better than my critics. <laughs> I don't like being that. That's another ecosystem we can talk about. But like, I never, like, I never lived my life being hated by people who didn't know me. I mean, at least the people who hated me knew me. <laughs> you had to work yourself through, like, I wish I wouldn't have done that. You know, I mean, probably you guys... You guys are holy, but you don't have those kind of problems. But I have some things I should have done. You know, I've had hundreds of employees before I ever came here. Anyway, da-da-da. Where am I going? Go somewhere. Don't just ramble. Okay. So I've been thinking a lot about sustainability. Like, how you create sustainability and I've been thinking, like, you have to have ecosystems that create sustainability. And I was thinking about God is a God of sustainability. Like, everything in the earth, and I'm sorry, I don't really know anything about what I'm talking about. I just know, like, there's trees. <laughs> and they produce, like, fruit that has seeds in them. And the seeds fall to the ground. And, you know, the squirrels that eat them, they die. And they, they poop around the tree, and the, the Lord even uses that, you know, to fertilize the tree. And when they die, the, the, nurture, the nutrients from the thing that was there, that ate the fruit. You, you know what I'm getting at? I don't. <laughs> I was sitting there thinking, like, I don't actually know about any ecosystem in nature. Like, I, I watch it on TV, and I'm like, wow, that's why they didn't want us to kill those spiders. But then as soon as it's over, I forget completely. But, you know, but, you know, the, you know, ecologists are always concerned that you're going to kill something that seems meaningless to you and me, right? Like, when we lived in Weaverville, it was forever. All of us that, you know, that were for, you know, like we made our living from people that were logged, right? Because we were in the woods, and what people did for a living was log. And so, you know, they would be like, the ecologists would come in. We had all these people come in. They're like, they'd be protesting like, you can't kill the spotted owl, why not? Well, if you kill a spotted owl, then you're going to... You know, and they start like talking like in some kind of you know, Chinese I don't even understand. And they're like, oh, oh wait, you guys moved in there and you cleared those, that brush and the, 
This special brown spider lives there. I don't even like spiders. They're like, no, no, you don't understand. You're affecting the ecosystem that actually created that culture you like. And you don't know it because you're ignorant. And I, I am ignorant. They're like, you killed the spider. And, they don't, and I don't even think most of those people, they don't really care about the spider. They care that what eats the spider, and then whatever that does. <laughs> I should have like looked something up so I could like sound intelligent. <laughs> I've always been on the other side of it. Like, hey, it's just a spider. We spray him in our house, you know? <laughs> Sorry. I should talk about cars. I know something about cars. But my point really is this, is that if you don't understand the ecosystem, then you kill the little spider that you think is insignificant. And people that understand that system, they're like, no, no, you don't understand. If you take that little piece out, that thing's a catalyst to everything else you love. And you just don't know it. Right? Right? And I like to propose that it's like that in our lives. Like, you take one little piece out, you're like, I'll just take this little thing out. And you don't realize that that thing is creating sustainability for everything. You know, I think there's a difference between rich and wealthy. I think rich people have money, but wealthy people have sustainability. I think lots of people become rich but not wealthy, and they don't know how to make the money. And if you don't know how you made it, you either do two, one of two things. You either spend your life being afraid you're going to lose it because you have no idea how to get back. Or you waste it all, like you win the lottery. And we all know these stories, right? They keep surfacing every once in a while. Guy wins a million dollars, and what happens in five years? He's broker than he was before he got the money. Why? Because he got rich, but he didn't get wealthy. Right? God says, I'm going to give you the power to make wealth and add no sorrow to it. Deuteronomy says, I'm, Moses said, God's going to give you, God is the one who gave you power to make wealth. How many of you know wealth has an ecosystem? Like you steal someone's money who's wealthy, it's bad, but that person knows how to get it back. Because it's a, that money is a manifestation in his life, that money is a manifestation of an ecosystem, and he understands the ecosystem. So you take all of his money, and in five years he has it all back, because that money wasn't something someone gave him, it's something that he if you will, created through this ecosystem. Are you with me? Henry Ford once said, burn down all of my, burn down all of my factories. Take all of my money and give me my people back. And in five years, I'll be where I once was. Because the factories you see were birthed in me. He had an ecosystem inside that was manifest on the outside through factories. But he take it all away from him, he makes it again. Yeah. At one time, and this is in the 80s, 70s and 80s, when I, I used to read business books and, you know, I got the tape of the week thing and I was, I'm totally, I'm kind of in, I'm a little OCD, so I'm like, if I get into something, I'm like, really get into it? And at, at that time in the 80s, in the early 80s, the top 50, Fortune 50, I think it's probably Fortune 100. CEOs had all been bankrupt at least once. And the article was around the fact that what they learned when they bankrupted gave them what they needed to become wealthy. Why? Because you take the spider out and the ecosystem crashes and you go, oh, wait a second, I get how this works. And you're not just thinking about the spider now, you're thinking about the ecosystem. Right? You're just thinking about the whole ecosystem. You're not just thinking, you're thinking about, hey, is there anything else I took out of there besides the spider that kind of ruined this ecosystem? Because now you start to be aware that things need sustainability. But when somebody hands you something, they give you something, but they don't tell you how to keep it going, you end up typically losing it or tearing down the very thing that you needed to actually sustain it. Does that make sense? And I believe that ecosystems, multiple ecosystems that are, that, that are sustained over time create cultures. And I think that cultures change 
to manifest ecosystems in different seasons. Let me give you an example. Let's say that one of your core values is family first. You say, you know what? I believe in family first. I put my family before. I'm obviously not before God. You, you know where I'm going. I say family first, family before work, family before ministry, family before, I mean, family is first for me. How many know that that's going to manifest in an ecosystem when, you're, when you have an infant? It might mean, let's say, you get up four times a night. Why? Because your family's first. So when that baby cries, you're like, family first, man. I'm up. I mean, it doesn't, that, that, he whimpers and I'm there. But how many know that the culture needs to change to sustain the same core values? When the child is 16. Now you might be a soccer taxi mom. <laughs> it's the same core value, but how many know the culture has to change to raise a 16-year-old? The culture that raises a great 16-year-old is a different culture than raises an infant. But the core value stays the same, family first. All right, is that making sense? So cultures actually change, core values remain, and ecosystems, they morph to keep the same core value alive in you. Right? So I go, this is what I believe, but what I believe has different manifestations in different seasons that create different cultures that help people sustain the same belief system. Um, a simple, you know, in the summer, the air conditioning comes on. I don't want the air conditioning to come on in the winter. I have the same core value, 70 degrees. But how many know it takes a completely, you know, do you know the furnace part of your system works completely different than the air conditioning part, right? And I do know something about that. I'm saying it takes a completely different ecosystem to sustain the the same 70 degrees in the winter than it does in the summer. If you only had the air conditioning ecosystem, which I could explain to you, what, you would get totally lost? If that's all you had, you couldn't sustain 70 degrees, even though that's your, are you with me? That's your core value. Like, my core value is 70 degrees. Well, you don't have the ecosystem sustain 70 degrees if you don't have a different kind of ecosystem that creates heat. Are you with me? And I'm saying sometimes we move from culture to culture and we find out that the ecosystem that we had that sustained us in the cold, we don't have anything built for the heat. And we find out that we're not successful here. I'll tell you some things that I see happening just over years. These are just observations more than they are points. There's probably a point to them, but they are observations. I see people that come into our culture, our ecosystem, and they're very successful. But they don't realize that it's coming from outside in and not inside out. And then they leave, and they're like, ah, I'm going to be an itinerant pastor like Bill Johnson. I'm going to travel the world and change lives. And they get out of here, and they find out that the reason why they were successful is because the watering system was here. They don't have a watering system. They didn't even know they needed one because it was provided for them in the greenhouse. There's just tons of verses about how to create an ecosystem. You know, um, Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God's not mocked for whatever a man sows, so shall he. How many know that's 100% about an ecosystem? I sow, then I reap. How many know I don't reap and then sow? I know we use this for, we use this for money all the time. It, it works for everything. It's like, I need friends. I better be what? Friendly. <laughs> How many people have you ever heard? I mean, if you've been in the church for more than a year, you're, oh, that place, I've been there a year, and I have no friends. There's 8,000 people go here. You can't find a friend. I can find a friend in 8,000 unfriendly people. Whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. If you want friends, you sow friendly. I need a father. So sonship. 
I just can't find a father. It's because you're not a son. You act like a bastard. It's all about you all the time. I didn't use that word as a cuss word. I didn't mean it that way. I, I mean, it's all about you. No one can discipline you. No one can tell you anything. It's like you want a father, but you don't relate to fathers. You're like, you, we're all equal. It's like, you're not going to have a father that way. Father means you need something you don't have. And humility starts there. You want fatherhood? You need an ecosystem that begins with, how about humility? <laughs> how about I'm not entitled? <laughs> you know, there is a, I'm off, oh, I'll see. There's a fine line between inheritance and entitlement. And the line is called attitude. The prodigal son, the father gave him an inheritance, but he actually got an entitlement attitude. Give me my inheritance. I deserve this. And the father didn't give him inheritance, thankfully, he just gave him money. How I many know if he had given him an inheritance, he would have known how to make it again? Because the father was a businessman. The father had a farm. The father knew how to make wealth. The son got it, thought, I got this. I got my part of my father's inheritance. No, you didn't. You just got money. And the father knew you'd be back because you didn't get an inheritance. You just got rich, but you didn't get wealth. I heard this many years ago. Somebody once said, if you need money, don't ask for money. Ask why you need money. Now, obviously, that's a broad statement. If you're always out of money, the problem isn't money. It's your ecosystem. And by the way, borrowing your way out of debt, there's <laughs> no such thing. As soon as you borrowed, you became more of a debtor. I'm consolidating my loans. And it's funny when people consolidate their loans, like they owe 50 grand and they borrow 60 I'm going to consolidate my loans and we're going to build onto the house. It's like, why don't you figure out why you had to go get a loan before you make it more? Oh, maybe that's the problem because you just kicked the can down the road and you don't care that you're actually going to have to pay for that someday. Oh, now we see the problem. You can't create sustainability because you're always living for today. What do I do to change this in me? I don't know. (laughs) All I know is about the problem. Ask me next year when the Lord tells me about sustainability. (laughs) No, I have a few ideas. Psalms 126 verse 5. Those who sow with tears will reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping and carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Okay, um, let's go. We're talking farming. So what's he doing, or what's she doing? They're sowing seed, but they're crying. You've got to kind of get to the farm ecosystem idea, right? So they're sowing, they're planting a, a field in tears. Why are they crying? Because evidently they need the seed to feed their family. So they're sowing it with tears. Let's say, instead of eating three meals a day, maybe now, maybe this year they're only eating two because there's not enough seed. So they're sowing in tears. In other words, they're sacrificing today so they can shout tomorrow. There's an issue in our generation, and that is this. We run out of money and we get more credit cards. Okay, well... I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about credit cards. I'm talking about spirit stuff. I'm talking about we're living on somebody else's stuff all the time because we never create an ecosystem of our own. So we're always borrowing from people who have one and then bragging about what we have and we're driving a car that we charged so that we can look like we actually are doing something when in fact we just owe more money. And we do the same thing with the anointing. We're driving on someone else's anointing and we have to keep borrowing it because we don't know how to sustain, create a sustainable culture with God. So we're always living on, we always need somebody else's, hey, can you take a selfie with me? Because I need your favor because I don't have any. And I don't have any problem with selfies. You understand where I'm going. 
Next time I see it on me or Bill or somebody, you know, T.D. Jakes, or, and, and the, I, I'm on their Facebook page. I'm their Facebook page picture. I don't even know the guy. I'm saying it's an attitude. I don't care about that. I'm honored. I'm saying I care about the fact that you can't build sustainability. So you, so you steal someone else's. You get the amount of favor that they, oh, you know Bill Johnson. Oh, my God, you must be the da-da-da. And the fact is, he's never seen you before you took the selfie picture. And you get opportunities that you can't sustain because you didn't obtain it through wealth. You got it through riches. John Maxwell said, don't tear down the fence till you figure out why they built it. I got a lot of examples. Galatians is interesting. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows. So shall he reap. Listen, if you want friendship, you have to sow friendship. I'm almost going to give more money to the church. That's great. But you'll probably just get more money back. Like, if I want peaches, I can't plant apples and pray they become peaches. I have to plant peaches. Uh, this is so simple, but sometimes people are mad. It's like, I did all this stuff for these people, and I didn't get back what I wanted. What did you plant? I planted that. You got that back. The problem is that's not what you wanted. You wanted this, but you gave that. Whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. What you plant, you get back. If you sow into friendships, you're going to get friendships back. Right? But if you, if you give money, you're going to get money back. If you get... If you give service, you're going to get service back. If you want, if you're like, I, I work so hard at their house. You served, ser- you gave service, and you got service back. What do I have to do to get friends? Be friendly. <laughs> Don't be a big sucking sound when you come. <laughs> All the people scatter there. <laughs> How am I doing? I've got a few more minutes. <laughs> Galatians 6, 9 says this, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time you'll reap if you do not grow weary. Here's another thing I, I think that our, our, our previous generation did better than us. And that is, they had the idea that you had to like keep doing it. Like, perseverance was a part of their culture. It's like, I gave $500 and we're still broke. It's like, how many times have you done that? Once. Or, or prayer is another example. It's like, people are like, I've been praying and praying and praying. I stayed up all night praying for this thing. How long have you been praying? Three weeks? Well, you had the problem for 30 years. You prayed for three weeks. What do I do? Keep praying. I mean, this isn't hard. It's like, we have such an instant like gratification. Like, I go, you know, I've said this so many times, but I pull in Burger King, and if I don't get served in three minutes, I'm like, they call this fast food? <laughs> Try that at your grandmother's house, man. That's how God thinks. God thinks like your grandmother. He doesn't think like Burger King. <laughs> God is old. <laughs> he ain't hip. Think about how... <laughs> Lord, you know I'm... You, you know where I'm going, right? It's like, just keep doing it. I can remember when we, were, when we had kids, and other people would come and say, you know, can you, can you tell us how to raise kids? And we're like, you know, we're, like, their kids would just be monsters. And we're like, have you tried discipline? Yeah, we tried that for a week. Got any other magic ideas? They're looking for a magic pill. It's like, you have to be consistent. You have to be consistent. Like, you have to, they have to be able to plan on the fact that you're going to discipline them. Like, it can't be on your feelings. Like, I don't feel like it today. So, you know, your kids are... Anyway. 
I mean, sustainability comes from perseverance. You keep doing the same thing. You can't do it once and get a culture. I prayed. I have an open heaven. No, you don't have an open heaven. And if you did, it wasn't anything that you did. Maybe you do. Ask Bill. (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't have said that. It's not my area of expertise. I'm living under bills and I don't plan to leave. I already figured out. He left for two years. I know what I don't have. I got here. Got me a job. I'm staying here forever. (laughs) My mama didn't raise no fool, Jack. I know the, wa- the well on my property, but I made friends and I get all the water I want. So, you know, you can be a thermostat or you can be a thermometer. Most people, I, uh, prophetic people most always are thermometers. Like, oh my God, my God. Oh, don't prophesy, please. Don't tell me what temperature is. Change the temperature. Call things that are not as though they are. Be a thermostat. Come into the room. Change the temperature. Go into the city. And how many know we need an ecosystem that isn't created around, well, what's the temperature in the church? We need to to think about at least our city. I'm saying we need to create an ecosystem you know what I told you about all the calculations? How many know that if we were using that metaphor, we can't use those calculations to say, let's make our church 70 degrees. We have to think at least, let's make our city 70 degrees. We have to think about, we have to calculate. We have to think about, the man built a tower. Jesus talked about a man building a tower. Got it halfway done. Then he didn't finish it. He couldn't finish it because he didn't calculate. I'm saying, we have to calculate what's it going to take to actually, this metaphor, you're with me, right? What's it going to take to warm our city? You could spend your whole life building something that keeps the church warm and wondering why people are freezing outside because you didn't calculate for them and they don't come in here. And then the goal is, let's get them in here because in here is heaven. Well, most of those people aren't going to come to heaven. That's their fault. And then it becomes all about evangelism, and evangelism's all about getting them in the building. So you have to first get them in the building so you can evangelize them. Anyway, I know what I'm trying to say. If you want to change the ecosystem, let me give you just a few ideas. One, tie yourself to someone who has a healthy one. I watch people do this. I obviously don't. But if you want to work out and you don't have a habit, find a friend who works out. Because at least they'll manipulate you to get you there. <laughs> it feels that way to me. I'm sure it's motivate. You, you, listen, if you've never worked out, like you're, you know, you're anywhere as close to more than 20, and you don't have a habit of working out, you probably won't get one unless you step into somebody's ecosystem. It's a partner or, you know, and then your partner goes, let's go to the gym. Why do I go to the gym? Why don't I just buy that equipment one time and I do it at home? You know why? Because it becomes a decoration in my house. You know why? Because my house doesn't have a culture of working out. It's a culture of eating. What happens when I go to the gym? Come on, you all know I'm telling you the truth. I mean, if you don't have the ecosystem inside of you, you have to get it around you so you can get it in you. Right? So you go to the gym, not because you can't buy the equipment that you really like, probably not that many machines, most of us could afford that. But we don't do that because we know, I go to the gym because when I go there, there's other people who already got the... <laughs> it's like jumping in the pool, you know, when they walk around and around and you get the current going. And you're like, you jump in the pool, they're already going. You're like, whoa, yeah, this is so easy. I bought all those machines, I take them home, I walk past them, I'm like, nothing's happening, I'm not getting any bigger. <laughs> not getting any smaller. So number two is step into a culture that has the fruit of the ecosystem that you're trying to have. To me, uh, be careful. I love Bethel TV. I think it's awesome. Uh, we were all part of doing, creating that. Obviously, those, the credit goes to those guys. 
I'm just saying we thought it was a great idea. It's not an ecosystem. <laughs> People are like, I'll watch you on TV, and you're my dad. No, I'm not your dad. I'm a virtual nothing. <laughs> I had a relationship through a screen. Why do students come and pay thousands of dollars to come here and give nine months or, or 18 or 30? You know, why do they come here? They come here because they need the gym. They got the equipment. You're with me? They got everything. You're like, I'm going to buy all the stuff on. I'm going to do it at home. You could, except for you won't. Because the reason why you don't have it is because you don't have it. It's not because you don't know about it. It's because you don't have the culture that actually perpetuates the ecosystem that you need that actually creates the, the, the relationship you want. When you step into the pool and other people are doing it, you're like, this is so easy. Why didn't I do this at all? And some people are like, I'm going to leave early. Got what I wanted. They go... Or I'm just going to do... You know, it's whatever. They cut the process short before it's in them. And then they go home and they're... they're, I mean, we talk to students all the time, all over the world. They're like, I left and I I crashed. Yeah, why did you not come back? Well, I know why. Because you were so good here that you didn't realize that it was the gym that was actually helping you work out. And when you left, you didn't take it with you. It's not that you won't. It's just that you have it. Are you with me? And at some point, this is a metaphor, and at some point you'll create a gym that other people come to and they get what you wanted. Because you don't just, once you get it in you, you can build it around you. But until you get it in you, or you got a piece of it in you, you can't sustain it. You obtain something you can't sustain. The last one, I'll just finish with this simple observation. We, used, we had home groups for years in real Years. I don't know how many years, but it seems like it's like 17, 18. And we would have a home group, and we had like seven. Out of my memory, not may not be perfect, but it was somewhere around seven. It wasn't 20, and it wasn't three. It's like seven. <laughs> and the home groups would grow. Like they'd be like 40 people. And we're like, all right, let's split the home groups, and then we'll have eight. Almost inevitably, we split the home group, one home group would grow back to 40, and one would die. Every time. I don't know if we ever had more than seven home groups or whatever the number was that we started with. And it, was, it, it was stunning. We would split, a, a, and, the, and sometimes the people would be like, yeah, I want to go with John. And, oh, yeah, I want to go with George. Okay, great. You know, awesome. And it wasn't like we just like, let's hack them in half and make them go somewhere. Like, no, I mean, we, well, we really prayerfully consider how to split the home group. But almost always, one would die, and one would grow back to 40. And we think, you know what's interesting? The person that creates sustainability isn't always the preacher. It's not always the preacher. And the preacher takes all the credit. Oh, I'm drawing a crowd. Yeah, you get them there, but you can't keep them. Because the culture keeps them. And the catalyst to the culture isn't always the guy who has the title. It's often another guy or another gal who has the title. I remember we were in this particular church that we have a relationship with. We had a relationship with them for 15 years. Good church, a church of about 600. A fairly good-sized church in a, in, a, um, in, a, in a fairly small community. And always doing well. This, this pastor is just a great preacher. His wife's a really good preacher. Great team. Been together for a long time. And they lost their worship leader. And they, through a, a few months, they got another worship leader who actually was actually more talented and actually, had, actually was writing some songs. And I, I actually experienced both of them. They, they really were more talented. And their church went from 600 to 300 in less than a year. And they're like, they're bewildered. Like, and, and, the, and the pastor that they lost, the, the, the worship leader, he didn't go across town. He went into business. So it wasn't like, you know, the typical like, well, Joe went over here and so we took all the people. It wasn't anything like that. So, you know, we were, we were sitting around, Danny Silk and I were there. 
And we were talking, and he was like, I don't, you know, I don't understand it. I don't get it. Like, we, you know, we have this worship. Listen, you, you've been here three times. How was the worship in the first session? It was amazing. It, don't you agree that there was another level of worship? I'm like, I do. That's the kind of worship we have every Sunday. That was our team. And Danny and I are sitting here, and, I, and we're sitting in, with their elders, and they're talking through, like, what's going on with us? And I said, um, it's interesting to me. I remember that your worship leader, when, when he would get off the stage, I remember that he would go from person to person like, he was like this Mr. You-feel-loved guy. You know that? That kind of, you, you know, we all know some people like that. Like, uh, Abby would be one in our culture, right? Like, you know Abby? Like, you can't, you can, like, if you need a dose of love, you just like, I think I'll stand next to Abby. I know for, eventually she'll see me. Where have you been? I love you. I've been praying for you. Let me send you five text messages. And it's, you know, it's one of those text messages like you love to open. You're like, Abby wrote me. <laughs> I said, you're a worship leader. I, I never really knew him. But I remember being in the, your, your church. And I remember him just greeting people and, and walking around. The, and, he's, and they were like, oh, yeah, that guy was like a bee. He was just like pollinated all the plants. I'm like, I don't think you're missing a worship leader. I think you're missing a cultural callus for fellowship. And Danny's like, I think that's the truth. You're missing your fellowship, guys. So you obtain something that you can't sustain it because people come to hear your preaching, but they don't stay because it doesn't feel family. So the second session, so that was the morning session, and we had break for lunch. The second session, we're worshiping, and there was this gal that was doing what Abby does, walking around, blessing people, you know, just in a conference. You know, I, I said, I searched the pastor, I said, who's that girl? He said, oh, they just moved here about six months ago. I said, you should hire her. You hire her, I don't know what's going on with that girl, but whatever it is, she'll make your church grow. He's like, well, here's 12 reasons why. I said, I'm just telling you, you want your church to grow? Right there, that lady creates family. Right there. And you don't do that. Like, you're a great preacher, you're a great father, you're all that stuff. But you know what? You're, yeah, you need her. <laughs> six months later, they hired her. In three months, they were back to 600 people. <clears throat> True story. In, in, in another, I think it was like a year later, Danny went back, said there were like 800 people. What happened? She didn't have a title. But she was a catalyst to the ecosystem that actually created family. Are you with me? And sometimes we don't, see, if we don't understand the ecosystem, then we, <laughs> we take the spider out. And we're like, oh, we just took the spider out. But people who understand that system, they're like, oh, no, you just killed the tree. Wait, no, I took the spider out. They go, no, no, 10 years from now, the tree dies. <laughs> you can have the spider back. And to all of us who are ignorant, it seems ridiculous that people get so upset, metaphorically, over a spider. And in our lives, they see some really thing that they, they, you know, it's not, they don't even write it down. I see you doing it. They don't even write it down in your notes, in their notes. They're like, yeah, I saw the worship. Good. We need to get a worship. We need, yeah, yeah, they need a sound system. Oh, that's good. I don't even see the bee. That's moving around the congregation. They don't even make a note. And they go home and they build all the same system and don't have the same ecosystem because the ecosystem oftentimes has a catalyst that's a little spider that nobody knows about. Because it didn't really stop long enough to go, what is actually making this work? And I think if we begin to think sustainability, not only will we grow in our lives, we will start solving some of the world's problems. I had an opportunity to be in some special places in the last five years. And I always, when I walk in there, especially in the last year, and I'm talking to these guys about problems that on the outside I hear the news talk about, and they're like, ah, I guess I'll bomb those people. He's for that. He's, he's evil. And, and I'm like, I get in there, I'm like, this is much more complicated. I text Bill one time. Remember, this is about a year ago. I got in a meeting that was so crazy. My mind literally... You ever have anybody, you had this great idea, you had this idea that you've kept since you were a kid about a certain thing that was important to you, and then someone just crashed it in front of you, and it was like nothing that you thought it was? 
I had one of those moments, and it was so, it so broke me. I text Bill in the meeting. I said, I'm in a meeting. I don't know what's happening, but the world is much more complicated than I ever thought it was. <laughs> and the, the news, and, and I, listen, I'm not, I'm not raging, raving against the news or raging against the machine. I, I'm simply saying that they get paid. To, am I, I'm saying people, it isn't just them. They get paid to make things really simple. It's A, B, C. I don't know why everybody doesn't know it. And that guy's on the wrong side. He's A and B and he's C and everybody's wrong except for us. And then you get in there and you're like, oh, this is actually about little spiders that nobody actually thought about. This is actually way deeper than anybody. Many of the talking heads don't even care about those spiders because they don't make a good story. But the actual problem is this little spider. And so when I walk in rooms now, I ask the Lord, this has been only a year since that thing, maybe a year and a half. I ask the Lord, Lord, what's really wrong? Like, what's really wrong? Not what is popular to be wrong, not what this party thinks is wrong, or that party, or somebody's getting paid to make it wrong. What is really wrong? What is really wrong? Like, how do we fix the ecosystem? Because everything you build sustains itself. And if, every, and if we build like you build, we'll have sustainability. Would you stand? I want to pray for you. Some of you, I speak by the word of the Lord. Some of you don't have a good, healthy, spiritual ecosystem. I'm not being negative. I'm just saying you don't have it. And thank God you're here, because if you didn't want it, you wouldn't be here. I get that. But you need to buddy up with somebody who has one. Follow me. And you need to ask the hard questions. You need to watch them. You need to see what they do. A lot more is learned through observation than articulation, right? So it's like, watch what they do. Because sometimes I find, like, when, if you ask Bill what he does, I know there's things that I think are really important, I'm not sure he'd tell you. Not because he's trying to keep a secret, but just because he's a sixth generation, fifth generation pastor, and he's been doing them for five generations, and doesn't even know he does them because he's never not done them. I'm saying it's like that with all of us. It's like we have things that we just do, that we just, they just keep us going, but we've been doing them since we were three, and we don't even know we do them, because we always do them. And so when, if I'm not doing them, and I watch Bill, and I'm like, oh, he never told me about that thing that he does right there. Never told me when he lays on his back at night and falls asleep that he says, I love you, Jesus. I've been trying to do that, you know? But it just wakes me up. <laughs> so I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God makes this sustainability word an obsession in your life, a Holy Spirit obsession. But you will go after it. In any area, if you, if you have money issues and you've had them your whole life, I, you know, I'm saying you had them your whole life, you, you understand, you, you, can, you can scream at the moon, but it, it's not going to help. Like, you actually need to find somebody who's wealthy, not rich, wealthy. They didn't give some money from somebody. They actually are wealthy, and you, like, you buddy up with them, and you're probably going to be doing things You'd go, hey, give me a list of what you do. And there's probably 10 other things they do because the way they think is different than you. Are you with me? And I'm just saying, you need friends? Hang out with somebody who's really friendly. It's like, oh, that's how they do. That's why. Oh, that's why people like being around them. Yeah, they don't complain all the time. Oh, yeah. That, oh, they come to give. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't do that. And I know it sounds kind of funny, but there were actually people. Listen, I'm not cursing these people. I'm saying... You know what? I learned how to be friendly because I was raised by a mom who was friendly. I'm just saying, my mama taught me how to make friends. Seriously. She taught me how to make friends. If you didn't learn that, it can be a skill. You can want it really bad. You can be like, man, if I had a friend, I'd be the best friend in the world. You just need one. And they don't know how to make one. It's like, you know, you, you just hang out with someone like Abby. And it's like, you watch and you're like, oh, I may not have a hundred friends, but I can bet I can make one after being with her for a while. Because she knows how to make friends. You understand? What is it you need? Sow into it. Find somebody who's good at it. Sometimes you have to weep for a while before you get it. Sometimes, you know, you're always eating last year's crop, you know? So sometimes you're going to cry for a year because you plant the crop, but it hasn't bear any fruit yet. But it will. 
Just don't grow weary in doing it. Just keep doing it. If you're doing the right thing, then just do it longer until you create an ecosystem that sustains it. Are you with me? So let me pray for you. Put your hand on your heart. Father, I pray for this word sustainability. I pray for it for Bethel. I pray for it for for everybody in this flock. I pray for it for every one of their homes. I pray for it for their kids, their their grandkids, their great-grandkids, that you would create an ecosystem that actually bears life and more abundantly. And it wouldn't just be a gift is good, but wealth is better. I pray for wealth that adds no sorrow, that we don't worry about how to get it because you taught us how to do it. Lord, just release wealth in every aspect of life. Release wealth in us. Let us be wealthy spiritually. Let us be wealthy emotionally, physically, in friendships, in fellowship, in finances. Let us just be wealthy people who have more than we need so we can bless people who are still in need. Lord, we just bless your people in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.